0: The United States, like many other Western nations, has a history accented with great achievements that broke down barriers to the future. These same histories are also bloated with an array of catastrophic failures that are lessons for the ages. For centuries, foreign policy has been the cornerstone to America's prominence on the world stage. What once was a predominantly isolationist precedent has now transformed into an overly hawkish tendency. Whether it be through direct involvement with the enemy or power contests conducted through proxy states, the U.S. has made itself both friend and foe to nations of the world. While just a minute part of its history, one particular nation has tugged at not only the U.S.'s coffers, but also its news channels' Chirons and citizens' attention. Join me, Michael Popa, this week as I explore with you the deep roots that America and its allies have in Afghanistan and the surrounding region. In this last episode, we'll explore how the recent pullout went down, starting with President Biden's inauguration and looking all the way to present-day Afghanistan and the state America has left it in. I'm Michael Popa, and this is Deep Roots. In the concluding years of the Trump administration, efforts to create peace between the Taliban and Afghanistan were made by the former president. But a Taliban unwilling to abide by the rules set forth by the United States made agreements between the Taliban, U.S., and Afghanistan nearly impossible. Taliban violence was increasing against Afghan citizens and Afghanistan was resistant to releasing Taliban prisoners as asked by the Taliban as part of the deal that was in the works. Despite difficulty in making peace, one thing was for certain, Trump wanted out. By late 2020, however, Trump understood that a complete and total pullout wouldn't be possible just as his predecessor came to realize. To prevent a total collapse of Afghanistan and a quote, Saigon type of situation, unquote, as described by Senator Marco Rubio of Florida, it was released on November 17th, 2020, that a standing force of 2,500 troops would remain in the country to continue stabilizing it while also supporting its military. It was stated that the reduction in troops would occur by January 15th of this year, just days before the recently elected former Vice President Joe Biden would be inaugurated as the 46th President of the United States. After Biden had held office for less than a month, the Afghanistan Study Group, a congressional group formed in 2019 that aimed to research potential policy modifications regarding the handling of the Taliban and peacebuilding in Afghanistan, released a report containing several suggestions for how to modify the remaining elements of the Trump-era peace deal. In short, the report recommended, quote, a complete withdrawal of U.S. troops based not on an inflexible timeline, but on all parties fulfilling their commitments, including the Taliban making good on its promises to contain terrorist groups and reduce violence against the Afghan people and making compromises to achieve a political settlement, unquote. Later, the report continued by suggesting that, quote, a sustainable peace agreement will be the responsibility of the Afghan parties to the ongoing negotiations, but the United States can play a key role in determining if this opportunity is taken. A responsible, predictable, and coherent set of U.S. actions could greatly increase the chances of a peaceful resolution to 40 years of conflict. A rash and rushed approach could increase the chances of a breakdown of order in Afghanistan that threatens the security and interests of the United States and its allies, Just a couple weeks later, Biden picked up his campaign promise to end the war in Afghanistan once and for all. Here's a clip from his speech at the Munich Security Conference on February 19th.
1: My administration strongly supports the diplomatic process that's underway and to bring an end to this war that is closing out 20 years. We remain committed to ensuring that Afghanistan never again provides a base for terrorist attacks against the United States and our partners and our interests. Our European partners have also stood with us to counter ISIS. Just this week, NATO Defense ministers endorsed significant expanded training and advisory mission in Iraq, which will be vital to the ongoing fight against ISIS. Following Biden's
0: speech, Secretary of State Antony Blinken expressed concern in a statement, saying that, quote, the security situation will worsen and the Taliban could make rapid territorial gains, unquote. Biden, however, expressed his own unease about the original May 1st withdrawal date proposed by the Trump administration and instead committed to a complete pull-up by the 20th anniversary of the September 11, 2001 attacks. Here's that clip.
1: President Obama asked me to travel to Afghanistan and report back on the state of the war in Afghanistan. I flew to Afghanistan to the Kunar Valley, a rugged, mountainous region on the border with Pakistan. What I saw on that trip reinforced my conviction that only the Afghans have the right and responsibility to lead their country, and that more and endless American military force could not create or sustain a durable Afghan government. I believed that our presence in Afghanistan should be focused on the reason we went in the first place, to ensure afghanistan would not be used as a base from which to attack our homeland again we did that we accomplished that objective and with our national interest the united states will begin our final withdrawal begin it on may 1 of this year we will not conduct a hasty rush to the exit we'll do it we'll do it responsibly deliberately and safely and we will do it in full coordination with our allies and partners, who now have more forces in Afghanistan than we do. And the Taliban should know that if they attack us as we draw down, we will defend ourselves and our partners with all the tools at our disposal. Our allies and partners have stood beside us, shoulder to shoulder, in Afghanistan for almost 20 years. And we're deeply grateful for the contributions they have made to our shared mission and for the sacrifices they've borne. The plan has long been in together, out together. U.S. troops as well as forces deployed by our NATO allies and operational partners will be out of Afghanistan before we mark the 20th anniversary of that heinous attack on September 11th. War in Afghanistan was never meant to be a multi-generational undertaking. We were attacked. We went to war with clear goals. We achieved those objectives. Bin Laden is dead, and Al-Qaeda is degraded in Iraq, and Afghanistan, and it's time to end the forever war.
0: Now, given the rich and nuanced history of Afghanistan that we've just started to scratch the surface of, I asked Dr. Austin Nuppy from the Utah State University Department of Political Science to join me on this project. To help expound on the intricacies of this region, here's some of his thoughts from our interview. Dr. Nuppy, thank you for coming. With the pullout that we just had um, that was announced in April, um, we saw a lot of toilet turmoil come out of it. Um, it seemed pretty hasty. Uh, at first, it was promised that everyone, troops, interpreters, green card holders, and pretty much any ally to the U.S. Um, during the Afghan war would get a free ticket home uh, to the United States. But as the pullout process continued, the administration pretty out in the open uh, began dialing down and going back on some of the promises, uh, eventually only pulling out uh, the troops and whatever American citizens they could muster. Uh, even today, almost three weeks after the pullout deadline, we still don't have quite full accountability of who's out there. Um, so given that pulling out seemed to be an inevitable goal of the Biden administration. Uh, that's something he's been pretty gung-ho about since he was inaugurated. Um, was this the way to go, the rapidity with which we did the pullout, or uh, if not, what kind of process would have maintained the region's stability that uh, I think a lot of us are hoping for?
2: Well, this is a massive question that we're going to be debating here for decades to come. Um, as you recall, right, we're, we're recording this in mid-September uh, 2021. All this has happened just four or five weeks ago. So there's still lots of uncertain uncertainty and unanswered questions as to um, uh, to what extent was this an intelligence failure, right? The U.S. intelligence community, at least insofar as it communi- communicated to the president and his team, was that a place like Kabul, the Afghan capital, would be able to withstand Taliban uh, offensive for something like three months. And instead, we see the, the, the Afghan state collapse in three weeks. We see massive defections of the Afgh- Afghan National Army. 80% of those underarmed in the Afghan National Army, Afghan National Police defect either uh, uh, flee or, or displaced or uh, leave their posts or collaborate, support, weekly acquiesce to Taliban presence. Right, so that, that's one of the questions. Was this an intelligence failure uh, on the one hand or is this something that many anticipated and it's one of those pull off the bandaid type moments? Right, the other is, um, to what extent was the timing or way we pulled out prudent or wise? That's something we're going to be debating, uh, certainly in the years to come. There was, uh, at the time here, uh, even in August, as events were unfolding, discussion about why didn't we pull out during the uh, during the winter months when the fighting season uh, relents? Right, Afghanistan's cold and mountainous. There's less violent combat in the winter months and in the fall and summer. Was it a question of timing? What is it? Was it a question of the type of force structure we had on the ground? Right, there are reports in The New York Times of meetings between the CIA and uh, senior Afghan uh, Taliban commanders rather saying, "Okay, who's going to control the capital? We're coming in. Do you want to be able to maintain a perimeter security beyond the Afghan uh, beyond the Kabul airport or not? The U.S. says we're going to provide stationary support to the airport, but not beyond that. So the Taliban comes in. Obviously there are an irregular guerrilla group or an insurgent group. They can't maintain complete control. So then what we see is a suicide bombing attack, uh, two attacks right on US service personnel as we're as we're we're evacuating. So that was a that was a tactical operational question about who's gonna maintain control. There's the question of the timing, there's the question of uh, the prudence of a pullout, the type of residual force you keep there. Those are all questions of of your your goals, right? Broader questions of foreign policy priorities which are not just contingent on Afghanistan, but also the the president's wider foreign policy agenda, U.S. public opinion, those sort of things. So it goes beyond just an immediate tactical or operational decision.
0: During our interview, we obviously talked a lot about Afghanistan's geographical and political importance, but we also chatted about modern influences and power struggles in the region. So if you like what you heard, make sure to go to our channel at Aggie Radio for the full-length interview. Upset by the change of plans to extend the withdrawal date from May 1st to September 11th, the Taliban released a statement threatening the U.S. to stay on course with the original pullout date or risk opening the Taliban taking, quote, every unnecessary countermeasure, hence the American side, will be held responsible for all future consequences, unquote. Without hesitation, the Taliban held true to their words, increasing their attacks on Afghanistan government entities and other anti-West groups by upwards of 37% and also, quote, preparing for large-scale offensives against population centers, unquote, according to a Department of Defense report released just a few months after Biden's announcement. In the face of Taliban forces growing as the U.S. prepared to leave, Zalmay Khalilzad, appointed to help resolve U.S.-Afghanistan foreign policy issues, insisted that the Taliban would not be a force capable of taking over Afghanistan if U.S. troops protecting the government were to leave. Explaining the Taliban's lack of military capability, Kalozid said to the Senate Foreign Relations Committee that if the Taliban were to make a push against the Afghan government, it would, quote, result in a long war because Afghan security forces would fight, other Afghans would fight, and neighbors would come to support, unquote. Saying that Afghanistan's military would hold and easily resist Taliban efforts, he continued by explaining that, quote, the statements that the Afghan forces will disintegrate and the Talibs will take over in a short order are mistaken. The real choices that the Afghans will face is between a long war and negotiated settlement, unquote. Kulizid's sentiments were later countered, though, by the appointed spokesman for the Taliban, Zabuhullah Mujahid, who declared a continued jihad against Western forces and influences to achieve their goal of forming an Islamic government in Afghanistan. Continuing to try and fulfill the promise of a total withdrawal while facing significant pressures from Taliban forces, the U.S. military quietly withdrew from Bagram Airfield, America's largest stronghold in the country, without informing the new Afghan post command, signaling a lack of coordination between the two countries' leadership. Walking back on Khalilzad and other Biden administration military official statements on the Taliban's inability to usurp control over Afghanistan, President Biden changed the deadline to be withdrawn from September 11th to August 31st, citing that, quote, speed is safety, unquote, and that a Taliban now, quote, at its strongest militarily since 2001, unquote, would pose an imminent threat to U.S. troops if they stayed in country longer than necessary. Biden still reassured Americans, however, that an Afghanistan ruled by the Taliban is not inevitable and that there would not be collapse of the fragile Afghan government once the U.S. had ended their presence. Feeling the lingering sense of doom as appearances of the administration's control over the situation disappeared, many politicians and new agencies like the Guardian and the BBC likened the recklessness of the withdrawal to the fall of Saigon. At the end of the unpopular Vietnam War, the Viet Cong, Communist North Vietnam's army, descended on the capital of South Vietnam, Saigon, forcing the U.S. troops and CIA officials to hastily withdraw via helicopters from the rooftops of government buildings and South Korean troops to surrender. Biden, when asked if he thought the pullout from Afghanistan mirrored what happened in Vietnam nearly 50 years earlier, said this.
2: Some, some Vietnamese veterans see echoes of their experience in this withdrawal in Afghanistan. Do you see any parallels between this withdrawal and what happened in Vietnam with some people feeling?
1: With None with... whatsoever. Zero. What you had is you had entire brigades breaking through the gates of our embassy. Six, if I'm not mistaken. The Taliban is not... The the North Vietnamese Army, they're not not remotely comparable in terms of capability. There's going to be no circumstance where you see people being lifted off the roof of an embassy of the United States from Afghanistan. It is not at all comparable.
0: This would later become a highly criticized statement for its lack of truth, as just weeks later and against their deal with the United States, the Taliban seized control of Zaranj, the capital of Nimrod's province in southwestern Afghanistan. This was quickly followed by Taliban forces entering and consuming Kabul, the capital of Afghanistan, on August 15th without meeting any resistance from the remaining U.S. troops and a disintegrated Afghan army. Without the ability to defend from the invasion, the president of Afghanistan, Ashraf Ghani, fled the country and the U.S. evacuated diplomats and American officials from its embassy by helicopter. Almost exactly mirroring the events of the fall of Saigon, what has been dubbed the quote, fall of Kabul, unquote, confirmed to American politicians and those closely watching the withdrawal that organization and control was lacking. Trying to shroud their true plans, Taliban officials publicly announced that discussions with the remaining Afghan officials would be held to peacefully form an inclusive Islamic government. In an attempt to maintain peace during the transition, Afghan officials such as former Afghan President Karzai and Chief Executive Abdullah created a council to facilitate the transfer of power to a Taliban government. By this point, the Taliban had consumed nearly the entire country of Afghanistan, including provincial capitals and border crossings. Some Afghan forces were without enough military capability to the point where surrenders were negotiated to avoid slaughter by the Taliban. Not even out the door yet, the country of Afghanistan had already fallen back into the hands of combined Taliban-Al Qaeda forces, turning eyes to the Biden administration for any kind of explanation. In face of a disastrous pullout process, Biden, in an address to the nation, said this. In just the last few days, multiple
2: cities in Afghanistan have fallen to the Taliban. There's irrefutable evidence that a vast majority of those Afghan forces cannot hold ground there. Has your current plan to withdraw U.S. troops changed at all?
1: No. Look, we spent over a trillion dollars, over 20 years. We trained and equipped with modern equipment over 300,000 Afghan forces. And Afghan leaders have to come together. We lost thousands, lost death and injury, thousands of American personnel. They've got to fight for themselves, fight for their nation. The United States, I'll insist we continue to keep the commitments we made of providing close air support, making sure that their Air Force functions and is operable, resupplying their forces with food and equipment, and paying all their salaries. But they've got to want to fight. They have outnumbered the Taliban, and I'm getting daily briefings. I think there's still a possibility you have a, a significant new Secretary of Defense our equivalent of the Secretary of Defense in Afghanistan, Bushmullah Khan, who's a serious fighter. I think they're beginning to realize they've got to come together politically at the top. And uh, But we're going to continue to keep our commitment. But I do not regret my decision.
0: After pushing blame from himself onto his fellow military officials, setting bad intelligence and ignoring the dishonesty his administration had pushed in the recent months, he later in his speech admitted that the pullout had been messy and reckless, but continued to deny culpability and instead used the disintegrated Afghan security forces as a scapegoat. From an earlier article I wrote concerning the growing Taliban capability in Afghanistan, quote, With little to no resistance, the Taliban was able to seize the military equipment left behind, including 75,000 vehicles, 200 airplanes and helicopters, and 600,000 small arms and light weapons, said U.S. Representative Jim Banks of Indiana, a veteran Navy officer, But they don't just have weapons, they have night vision goggles, body armor, medical supplies, and unbelievably, the Taliban now have biometric devices which have the fingerprints, eye scans, and the biographical information of the Afghans who helped us over the last 20 years." Without the ability to counter Taliban pressure in Kabul while evacuating the remaining troops and allies in Afghanistan, the Department of Defense sent 3,000 troops from the U.S. Army's 82nd Airborne Division and the U.S. Marine Corps' 24th Marine Expedition Unit, or MEU, to aid in what remained of the evacuation process, and to secure Kabul Airport, a small single-strip airfield, whereas the forfeited Bagram airfield had two runways and was over 30 square kilometers in size, much more fit for an evacuation as sizable as the one being conducted. The troops were also needed to help stabilize the influx of evacuees trying to enter the airport. Videos of Afghan citizens clinging to the wheel wells of and falling hundreds of feet from departing C-17 military aircraft furthered public scrutiny of the hastiness of the evacuation process. While Biden had said that qualifications for refugee status would be widened to allow more people to safely return to the United States, many Afghans and Americans alike were being left without assistance, partially due to the fact that records of Americans in-country are not kept, so Americans in Afghanistan were not necessarily being tracked down. Just days before the deadline and still scrambling to complete the withdrawal process, 13 U.S. soldiers were killed in a suicide bombing that also killed 170 Afghans and injured 18 others just outside of Kabul airport on August 26th. These are the first U.S. deaths in Afghanistan in over a year and a half, and the deadly stay for American forces since 2011. ISIS's sister group, that references Afghanistan's old name, Khorasan, claimed responsibility. In a retaliation just as hasty as the pullout, the Pentagon launched airstrikes against the suspected perpetrator of the attack, ISIS-K. The airstrike killed 10 civilians, including 7 children, and was called a mistake by the Department of Defense. Without changing plans to completely depart from Afghanistan, Biden promised retaliation of some kind against the terrorist forces in the region and said that, quote, we will not forgive, we will not forget, we will hunt you down and make you pay, unquote, but didn't offer any specific plans to do so. With just a day left before reaching the August 31st deadline, the U.S. military lifted its final group of soldiers from the airport in Kabul, officially ending America's involvement in the region and ending the 20-year-long war in Afghanistan. Although the administration vowed to remove all soldiers and allies alike from the country, many Americans and Afghan allies remained in-country, but were told to use diplomatic channels to find means of escape, virtually abandoning these peoples. Months later, there are still hundreds of Americans unaccounted for in Afghanistan. Both U.S. troops finally gone, these Americans and the Afghanistan citizenry are left to defend themselves against the new, all-consuming Taliban government. While we have some answers about how the Taliban plans to rule the country, waiting is all we can do to see what actually comes of the new government and how it decides to interact with the international community. After centuries of conflict and a 20-year war with the United States, Afghanistan remains a fragile state and will for the foreseeable future. I'm Michael Popa, and this is Deep Roots. Like what you heard? Make sure to like and subscribe and leave a five-star review if you want to hear more. You can find me on Instagram at michael.popaii. You can also find the Utah Statesman on Instagram and Twitter at utahstatesman. Or you can pick up our newspapers on campus and online at utahstatesman.com. This show is brought to you by the Utah State University Student Media. Copyright Utah Statesman 2021.